Hey everybody, it's Newark Kid Y here with God Yay or Nay. Thanks for uh, tuning in to episode number two. This week, uh, my guest is going to be Emiliano Rupra. Emiliano is the host of Unexplained and Unexplored, which is now streaming on the Science Channel in North America, UK, and Australia. Uh, This is an amazing episode. He tells us a lot about his first season um, filming as as he traveled the world and the whole point of his show. He was uh, he's also a war journalist. Uh, he tells us about his experiences out in Iraq, and uh, we also have a little bit of talk about uh, psychedelics because uh, something we're both interested in. All right, you can uh, follow him on Instagram at Emiliano Rupra and his website EmilianoExplorer.com. Uh, I'll give links to that all in the description of this podcast. And uh, for everybody, uh, this is who's just tuning in. Uh, most of my podcasts are going to have different guests. I'm just starting this now. Now that we have this uh, virus going on, I'm doing a lot of uh, great guests that I'm Skyping on, um, recording over Skype, and I'm having a blast with it. Uh, I'm gonna. I have so many different types of guests coming up, and I'm gonna always make sure to have a nice variety so everybody can uh, always feel entertained and uh, hit so many different uh, topics and stuff. Uh, so the best thing you guys can do if you want to help support, please go to whatever podcast uh, host you're going to or Apple or iTunes and uh, please rate this podcast, giving it a good rating, uh, leaving a good comment, any of those things, uh, following me on uh, Instagram or YouTube uh, at Newark Kidwai, all of those things really, really help now that I'm just uh, trying to start this thing up because it doesn't look like there's many shows coming up. Uh, but honestly, I'm staying positive and I'm having a lovely time doing this podcast. And as this uh, pursues forward, I'm going to have uh, more music on this podcast, better editing, better equipment, all of that stuff's going to grow. And I hope you guys can all uh, be with me the whole way. Uh, Thanks so much, and uh, this is uh, episode number two, Unexplained and Unexplored with Emiliano Rupra. All right, everybody, uh, welcome to God, Yay or Nay. Today, my guest is Emiliano Rupra. He has his uh, own TV show on the Science Channel called Unexplained and Unexplored. Uh, Thanks for coming on my show, man. Uh, Thanks for having me, man. You and uh, joined your quarantine, my man? <laughs> uh, I'm doing my best, you know. A, lo- a lot of time indoors, a lot of time with yourself, a lot of time to be creative. I can't complain. Yeah, so, How about uh, you? man, yeah, I'm doing okay. I honestly, I, I'm staying in, like, a lot more now, like, just complete quarantine because I had, like, a little bit of a fever yesterday. Right, I feel, I that's feel not good. good. Yeah, I, I know, but I feel good, so I'm uh, I'm just going to stay in, and uh, this is nice. This is uh, the, my first time doing a video uh, podcast, so you're my, you're my first, my man. Hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Yo, so um, can you give my uh, audience, like, just a little bit of uh, background on, like, how you, like, ended up hosting the show on um, uh, the Science Channel? Sure. Yeah. So I've been uh, I've been kind of a, a TV producer for years. So I, I used to focus a lot on wildlife, spend hours in the field filming. I was that dude, you know, <laughs> filming, filming flamingos for like a month in the mangroves with a camera. Is that uh, the one with like the hundred thousand flamingos like just yeah. spread? Oh, yeah. I've yeah, seen yeah, those yeah. pictures. <laughs> yeah, man. You, you've seen you, you've seen the beauty, but none of the pain and struggle that goes into getting those shots so that that was me doing that yeah kind of adven- a lot of adventure. pain and struggle a lot man some pain some struggle some beauty it's all life it's yeah, all good yeah that's awesome um and i used to do a lot of development so that development is when you like pitch new tv show ideas to executives mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends would ask me to help them develop shows and one of my friends uh justin for Who's like a cultural investigator is what he calls himself. He's a, kind of a culinary figure in the Bronx. He was a good friend of Anthony Bourdain and Andrew Zimmern. Oh, wow. He's kind of like the, he calls himself, or a lot of people call him the Bronx ambassador. So I set up a, I helped him develop this great show idea and we pitched it and it did really well. And, uh, you know, doing it in front of camera work is not my thing, but I was like, 
fuck it, man. You know, a few months of travel with your buddy, get paid to do it, jump around the world, investigate some interesting stories. I'm in. And we just did it. No, that is a, and, uh, that's amazing, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah it's, it's, it's been how fun. was the jumping into it uh was that uh was that hard or like um getting over that fear or did like it seems like you are the kind of guy who just likes to jump into shit like that eh? dude i love it i mean it, i got a little taste of my own medicine you know because being a producer you're always the guy directing hosts or actors and you don't really see the pain they go through the discomfort and I've, I've always been known as, as a tough producer. You know, a lot of hosts complain that I'm a bit harsh or uh, I don't, you know, I'm not sensitive enough to what they're going through, their eating habits. Whatever. Oh, nice. <laughs> Dude, so I got a little taste of what that's like. And uh, yeah, man, it's not easy to perform for the camera. It seems easy, but it's tough because you have to be highly energetic. You have to give the director what he wants. You have to really work with people to get them to say oftentimes things they don't really want to say to make the show interesting. Uh, so I think it was a, it was a bit of a, a tough learning curve, but you know, in the end you just, you figure it out and you do it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it was a lot of fun. Hey man, I, I love that kind of, uh, that attitude of just jumping in and being like, all right, it's time to do it. Actually, right. I think that's what this virus kind of did for me and this podcast. I was just like, all right, uh, you've been thinking about it. Just jump in and stop like even caring about anything you're worried about and just do it and just get better every time you do it, which, uh, yeah, I think that's a good uh, mindset, my man. Yeah, man. Totally agree. Uh, so like you had 10 episodes on this first season and it seemed like you guys traveled every continent, almost every continent, right? We traveled a lot. Uh, we did a lot of shows in the U.S., but in parts of the country that would seem foreign to, to most of us okay. living in big cities, like places like uh, uh, that are ultimately very American, but are so different from cosmopolitan life, you know, like small towns in Arkansas or uh, small towns in Montana. Nice. And then also, you know, from one week we'd be shooting in Montana and the next week we'd be, you know, surrounded by tribes in the Omo Valley in Ethiopia or, uh, you know, discovering ancient pot fragments in the outskirts of Cairo. So it was like, you know, it was this just all around globe trotting uh, adventure. Uh, with no limits, really. So, yeah, we saw quite a bit of the world. Oh, man, that's like a dream job to so many people. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing, man. Amazing. I'm so grateful for yeah, it. Yeah, did you have, like, one uh, place that you did visit in the first season that, like, really stuck with you? So, uh, so, dude, Ethiopia has to be one of the most incredible countries I've ever seen. It's like, you know, I think in the West, a lot of people's uh, image of Ethiopia is... That iconic uh, Pulitzer Prize winning photograph of the like starving baby with the vulture yeah, behind yeah. it. The photographer ended up committing suicide no after taking that picture. Yeah, because one of the, one of the main tenets of photojournalism is not to involve yourself in the life of others and just kind of voyeuristically capture it. And uh, and this guy learned that the you know he left this child to starve and it was eventually eaten by this vulture so he committed suicide out of out of uh, shame wow. I guess uh, so that's yeah I mean long story short that's that and images of starvation are what is common uh, for most people in terms of thinking of Ethiopia and when I got there man it's it's alive man this place is green it's clean there's like so many different uh, cultures and culinary traditions. Uh, it's one of the richest countries in terms of culture and lifestyle wow, I've ever really? seen. They're just one of the most ancient cultures on the planet, and uh, and I think it was it was just a magical place to see. Really, really unexpected. Nice. And uh, what was the episode uh, when you went to Ethiopia about? So the, the Ethiopia episode started in Egypt. Ancient uh, the the story was about uh, uh, a, a group of individuals known as uh, Dynasty Zero, 
So the question that we started the episode with was, is there an origin for this ancient pharaonic civilization in Egypt? Like, how do, how do these people in Egypt all of a sudden pop out of nothing in the desert, start building these huge pyramids, these <laughs> incredible structures that last for time immemorial and become like these iconic symbols of civilization? Like... Was there something that inspired them? Where did they come from? Did they even come mm -hmm. from Egypt? So we ended up going to Egypt and finding out that a dynasty zero, so the ancient pharaohs that came before the first dynasty, the first people to start building these superstructures in the desert, uh, ha are buried in, in one of the main ancient monuments called uh, the Seti Temple, just outside of, a few hours outside of Cairo. And inside those tombs, archaeologists found containers uh, that uh, they were able to analyze and found that those containers were containers for wine. Now, we know that the ancient Egyptians only drank beer, not wine. So the question was, where did these guys come from? If they were drinking wine, they must have come from somewhere else. So to make a long story short, we we figured out several other anomalies and found this story about uh, um, an ancient uh, pharaoness called uh, Hatshepsut. And Hatshepsut spoke about this ancient land of the gods, this place where uh, all, all the most uh, prized goods of ancient Egypt originated. Stuff like uh, frankincense and myrrh and uh, all, all the great spices and honeys of, uh, that were the luxuries of the ancient world. So we tried to figure out where that place was by matching where ancient frankincense trees would have grown in that period in time. Oh, cool. And that brought, <laughs> yeah. So that led us to Ethiopia, the ancient Kushite kingdom. And, uh, and yeah, and we found uh, potential ruins uh, that point to the possibility of it being the origin of ancient Egypt. It's kind of out there, but it's all based on on fragments of evidence. Okay, that's kind of cool. So you're like uh, providing like an alternative story to like what a lot of people know, right? Or like how they right. believe it, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Unexpl unexplained and unexplored, all right. <laughs> it. And it remains unexplained, you know? Oh, that sounds but, like a uh, lot of fun. Like, so was that something you were into before you, like, started doing the show? Like, uh, actually, like, looking at stuff like this and history and, like, looking at different theories and stuff? Totally, dude, totally. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan of alternate archaeology alternate conspiracy al theory <laughs> i've never heard of that Ar alternate al archaeology <laughs> that's the fake news of archaeology <laughs> that is exactly, exactly exactly dude it, it's a rabbit hole so it's like it, it, it's basically this idea that um archaeology is an academic institution that's uh, whose findings are often safeguarded from new controversial findings. And these new findings either take time to come to light and shift the paradigm or are buried. And so there's a, there's a lot of evidence uh, that disrupts kind of uh, the current paradigm in archaeology, like how old humanity is, where certain uh, cultures come from, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so I give it a chance. There's some grain of truth to, uh, to ideas that, you know, kind of challenge the, the mainstream consensus. Oh, I 100% believe that. Yeah, 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 man. I mean, look, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to distinguish what's fact from fiction sometimes, you know, if you're just on the Internet. But alternative archaeological theories that sometimes counter... Uh, like common consensus and whatever the paradigm is at the moment have grains of truth to them. Like the idea that civilization is much more ancient than what we believe it is. There's a lot of evidence to that. 
or uh, there's 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 great researchers like oh, Graham, Graham Hancock who <laughs> oh, talks. I love Graham. You know, I love him, dude. And he's he's also an he's also a huge fan of global consciousness and ayahuasca. But he's also a very legitimate mm. uh, journalist, and he's somebody who the archaeological community often sneers at. But his ideas are gaining a lot of ground. And if you read his books, there's a lot of evidence to support the stuff he says, even yeah. though it's not mainstream. So I think it's a it's a matter of doing your own research and using your own deductive reasoning to to yeah. see if something makes and, sense. Uh, or not, correct you know? me if I'm wrong, but like when you're talking about stuff way in the past, like even like how can you say like even the mainstream people, how much like real evidence do they have to like it? It must be a little flimsy as when you get the farther back you get, right? Totally, dude. I mean, you you think, and this is something he says, you think of that archaeologists have, like, found thousands and thousands of skeletons, of skele thousands and thousands of skeletal remains, right, to support their theories. But really, they've found, like, dozens only, and they've based their theories on pretty scarce evidence, Right. So uh, every once in a while, a new skeleton will pop up. Right? Exactly. Like a like a hallucinogenic mushroom, and it'll send them on this like trip, where they're like, "Well, everything we believed was wrong. Well, just cover it up because it doesn't make sense. We'll 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 stick it in the Smithsonian, and and we'll revisit later." And and then some nosy uh, investigator like uh, Graham Hancock comes by, and he starts. You know, he starts causing a little trouble and writing books about it. And the rest of us who are open-minded enough to read through it uh, start like to question that. stuff ourselves, you know? it. I love it, dude. And that was one interesting thing about doing this show was a lot of uh, academics were willing to go to talk about these theories that we're investigating off camera, oh, off the record. I like that. Dude, that's what they're driven to because a lot of them were like, look, man, I survive off grants. I'll be laughed at by uh, by mainstream by the mainstream community or I'll get fired, even though I believe in some of these theories. So I'd rather just tell you about it personally and not go on camera. So, you know, it, it retards the evolution and the spread of this knowledge It really does. So so I'm all for it, man. I think we're uh, getting to a point in time with, like, just, like, how long we've been in the internet age now, where I think, like, the whole idea of a mainstream is, like, breaking down. Like, it doesn't even seem like there's mainstream anything. Like, it feels like it's getting smaller and smaller, and everyone's joining their own kind of communities and stuff and way of thinking. And, uh, yeah, like, something as big as this, like, whole uh, pandemic thing, like... Man, I don't know. I, I, I can kind of see like a lot of our big uh, cultural uh, paradigms are going to get shaken off in the next uh, few months. They can end up breaking. I don't know. <laughs> I hope so, man. I mean, it could, it, it could be a Trojan horse, you know? It could be, uh, well, more than a Trojan oh. horse, it could, it could be a gift in disguise, you know? Telling us all, <laughs> slow down, take a well, little yeah, time. Talk to each other, actually. Think about uh, shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been nice. Exactly. All right, uh... I wanted to talk about a couple things. Um, all right, you told me one of the craziest stories when I met you in Mexico, and I want you to tell it on the podcast about what happened in Iraq uh, when you were filming there. Like, uh, you want to tell that story to our uh, listeners? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so this is the sto the suicide bomber story. Yeah, yeah. So uh, oh. why were you in Iraq? And like, uh, tell us what happened. Right. So two thousand. Uh, 17, uh, when the war against terror was raging on in Iraq, I kept asking myself, is the news an accurate representation of what's going on? Are these ISIS guys really evil? Does evil exist? Or is this a manufactured war? So I decided to go to Iraq and make a film about it. Um, so I found some funding got sent to Iraq uh, with an assistant and a fixer. And uh, to make a long story short, we ended up sneaking in, essentially, uh, though somewhat legitimately, 
to the war zone, uh, to the front lines. Oh, wow. So Mosul City was, you know, the heart of darkness. It was where the Iraqi army was fighting. And ISIS had control over that for a while, right? Exactly, man. It was hell on earth. Uh, So it was like, as soon as you, you got in past the checkpoints, you could hear the rumble of mortars in the distance, the explosives. I mean, it was... Kind of like a war film, but in reality, you know, Um, and nobody was to be trusted because you were warned that, you know, even the shepherds sometimes laced their sheep with bombs. So if like, yeah, so like when the car stopped to let sheep cross the road, you were scared shitless because you you knew that there was a possibility that somebody in the distance could blow up one of those sheep. So it was a dark, so it was dark times, and uh, as soon as we kind of got in to uh, to the front lines, um, a, a helicopter flew over us, and suddenly there was chaos, and all the soldiers that had been pretty well organized, taking care of checkpoints, started rushing towards this field, and so, uh, you know, as as a journalist, my first instinct was let's go follow them which was probably not the brightest idea thinking back on it, but we did. And so uh, myself and Alex Laurie, who was uh, helping film, and the fixer, Garib, who was a a, a local from Kurdistan, rushed into the field, and we put a camera on one of the soldiers' uh, helmets. And as we're rushing into this field, it's chaos. There are people shooting everywhere. And we don't even know what they're aiming at. There's helicopters flying by, shooting down wow. into this field. You know, it just looked like a video game, man. And uh, so so basically, as we're rushing in, we get past this hill, and we notice that there's this guy on the floor. And uh, and so at, at the front, about 20 feet from this guy, there's me, there's... Uh, the assistant producer, there's the fixer, and there's a bunch of soldiers and uh, and a couple other journalists, some locals. And so the captain, who's actually wearing our, our, our uh, camera, tells one of his soldiers to go grab the guy. And so this soldier runs up to this, uh, to this wounded uh, ISIS member who's on the floor. And as soon as he gets up right next to him, the guy turns around. And he, you, you see that he's covered in explosives, and he just presses a button and blows up. In that thirty seconds of chaos, all you see is an explosion. I saw a leg literally fly by my head. My ears went numb, and I hit the ground. And uh, and when we woke up from that, uh, I turned to my left and there was this uh, French journalist from the French Associated Press uh, trying to light a cigarette uh, and he kept saying merde, uh, merde, merde because he couldn't light his fucking cigarette because his matches were covered in shit because he got hit with the intestines from this Jeez. suicide bomber who blew himself up and then, I, and then I looked to my right and there's my friend and a bunch of other journalists and soldiers and they're all covered in blood and I'm covered in blood and then I look at the place where the guy blew himself up and there's just a giant hole and somehow the soldier who went to grab him was okay he was just shook up but nothing happened to him so nobody died other than the suicide bomber uh and it was that was a traumatic introduction to the war in Iraq. It was my first day in the combat zone in the front lines. And that, um, that was your first day. And how long did you have to stay after First that? day, man. A week. <laughs> a week. A, ter- a terrifying week. Oh, my God. I, I, I can't... Uh, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. It was so crazy, man. And, and it, you know, throughout that week, we basically... Your choices are either... Uh, either stay bunkered down or go explore. So we went and explored and, and got to see all these other aspects of the war and had a lot of close shots. We were sniped at. We had suicide cars try to get us. I mean, the 
the fact is that war zones are hell. They're chaotic. Uh, I can understand why a lot of people are traumatized and get PSD from them, especially staying there for long periods of time. Luckily, I don't think I got PTSD. I mean, it's been several years and I've been fine. But but I don't know that I got an answer to my question about good and evil. What I did see was uh, that war should be avoided at all costs. It is an absolute horror, you know? Damn, dude. Brutal. That story's insane. I like it up. I remember it. Uh, yeah, I remember yep. when you told me that in Mexico. It was... All right, let's talk about Mexico, though. Um, so uh, my first podcast I did, I told everybody about my sixth uh, ceremony retreat, and you were at that retreat, so uh, we kind of went through the whole thing together. Um, That's right. You were in a different spot. I used, this was your first time trying ayahuasca, and you decided to do it six times. You ended up doing five, am I right? Yep, and um, I did, Five, uh, yep, yep. this was my, like, seventh, no, eighth time doing it, so, like, uh, yeah, um, so we were kind of in different spots, but, like, I think we had, like, a good connection out there, we were friends, and, like, kind of, like, uh, chilling out and, like, uh, sharing experiences and stories and stuff, it was, it was good times, um, but now we're six weeks out, um, let me ask you, like, uh, have you been thinking about it? Like, what do you think about? What do you still feel about that experience? Um, Man, I think about it all the time. You know, um, I spent a lot of years preparing to take ayahuasca and uh, kind of building up the courage to do it. Um, I, you know, I, I maybe maybe spent four years reading about DMT before I took it. Uh, I have a lot of respect and uh, fear for uh, extraterrestrial or uh, non-human intelligences, especially in the in the plant world, you know. Uh, so, okay. yeah. So going into, uh, you know, I've taken mushrooms. I've taken salvia, which is probably the strongest hallucinogenic I've ever done. And uh, I've done peyote. Uh, so I knew that Salvia was the ultimate, uh, experience. And the reason I was going into it was was twofold. One is I'm trying to figure out if there really is a such thing as consciousness in the plant world, right? Because I know it exists in the Mm -hmm. animal world, but does it exist in plants? Which would be just a great retort to vegetarians, <laughs> you had a slip in a vegetarian joke there, didn't you? <laughs> so, so you know, I want to know if that carrot suffers or not. Um, and then the second one is, you know, I, I partially, well, I wanted to quit smoking and kind of get control of some of my like uh, more addictive uh, personality traits. And uh, it did not disappoint, man. I mean fuck how do you how do you even explain it i think it was it's like it's like a psychedelic atomic bomb going off in your brain you know uh it just raises everything uh that was there previously and uh and and leaves space for for a completely different uh civilization (laughs) to redevelop in your brain you know it's like um it was really powerful. So the the first time I the first time I took it, I I had this absolute dread and anxiety, you know, at this at this thing invading my body, and I just felt totally uncomfortable, and I fought it off. I fought it off, and I knew it was stronger than me, and I just had this terrible uh, four hour uh, journey of fighting off this this invasive intelligent substance yeah that's uh yeah not the best way to do it but uh go on (laughs) and and i suffered but i understood uh that there was something uh brilliant highly intelligent uh purposeful and spiritual about the brew itself so the second time i decided to kind of let go Mm. And, uh, in, you know, a matters of, of 
minutes turn into hours, seconds turn into minutes. It the journey just expands time and consciousness like no other substance I've ever taken. Um, and the next, you know, four or five days of that immersion were probably among the most profound experiences of my life and left me with more questions and answers, I think. Mm. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's what you got the rest of your life for is to find out those uh, answers to those questions. Isn't that right? <laughs> that's right. And uh, uh, do you notice like a difference in like, as you said, like you wanted to deal with like a lot of addictive parts of your personality. Like, do you notice a difference in that than like six weeks out? Yeah, I mean, what, what's funny is my main thing was just to quit smoking cigarettes, tobacco, because even though it, tobacco just it seems like this vintage addiction that <laughs> a lot of people our age don't have. I'm I'm just a, a smoker. I love to smoke and I really wanted to get rid of that. Uh, the irony was that all of the leadership, all of the shamans, everybody in the retreat. <laughs> so when i'd go when i'd go to like the shamans like like rafael or marco who was leading the ceremony i'd be like look i want to quit smoking they'd be like no don't worry about it just smoke organic tobacco here's some uh so that didn't work out i ended up smoking tons of my 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 right the amazonian tobacco uh, and, and, and it's because in, in that culture, in the, a lot of the Amazonian uh, indigenous cultures, tobacco is considered kind of a protecting spirit, mm-hmm. you know, and they just smoke the hell out of it. So that obviously did not work. Um, but in terms of drinking, I, I haven't really drank much. I've been pretty good on that. And I've been focusing a lot on personal growth. So I, I do think massive uh i wouldn't say mass, uh, subtle changes to my behavior were made i think that ayahuasca is also something you have to revisit the way that i did it was so intense you know it was like yeah i would never recommend uh going in for uh five ceremonies the first time i think two three is like good i think uh that's probably a good thing to kind of do your first time <laughs> totally totally and i think I think the other thing that I learned is you have to master some other techniques in order to have, in order to, in order to gain the most knowledge from ayahuasca, you should know your breathing techniques and your meditation, which I, which I don't. So it was just this crazy ride through psychedelic landscapes and emotional, uh, spaces and psychological dimensions that was almost too intense to bear for what felt like months, even though each session was only a few hours long. So you end up learning unbelievably profound uh, nuggets of wisdom when you're in the trip, but sometimes it's easy to forget them when you come out, uh, unless you have a way to calmly uh, absorb that information while you're journeying. So I think for me, uh, that's what I would improve. I definitely want to go back and try it again. I am convinced that ayahuasca is an intelligent uh, species Mm -hmm. of some sort, Uh, an intelligence that goes way beyond human intelligence uh, or anything else on the planet that I've interacted with. Um, So that was, that was a great, uh, that was a great thing to, to understand and, and come to no, terms with. What you- uh, well, I was going to say, like, um, even that question I asked you, like, how you're, like, uh, how you are with your um, addictions, like, it is true, you, like, when, every time I've done uh, ayahuasca, you never get rid of your addictions. Like, you make subtle changes, and, like, those subtle changes, like, over time, you'll notice how great those changes are, but... Sometimes they're so subtle, like, you don't really notice them until, like, later on, um, maybe even, like, five, six months down the road where you're just like, oh, like, I changed these little behaviors and it made such a huge difference down the road. And, um, yeah, that's a big uh, thing I've noticed with uh, 
uh, ayahuasca especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of works works on its own. It, that's why they call it a medicine. You know, I think it just stays in your system, stays in your consciousness. Assuages whatever needs to be assuaged, and kind of works maybe uh, a little bit uh, on its own, like subconsciously. A hundred percent. It works inside you like all the time, or it's just with you. And uh, I think it's like uh, one thing I've noticed because you said like you said you just uh, you believe that there is an intelligence there, like you felt it, and um, I think most people they do it a couple times then they actually get like all right I, I i see what you're saying i think there's some bigger intelligence here now that i've done it 13 times like i really feel like like this intelligence is really trying to teach us and like one thing that's so noticeable like in so many different stories i've heard about it is like it's trying to teach us to be present it's trying to teach us to be here to like be present in this moment and like uh use your mind and be here and create and like that kind of stuff and um that's why every that you said like uh you have um sometimes a hard time keeping attention and like uh your thoughts can kind of like run around yeah, no, yeah. i remember you were telling me uh your uh, yeah, yeah. thoughts sometimes would like uh be too overwhelming and you can't uh, keep attention and stuff but i've noticed that that's like something that uh everybody i've heard who tries it like they can actually start feeling their thoughts calm down and actually like feel your attention like come into the present moment, which is something that I've noticed that the plant world loves to tell you, or the psychedelic world likes to bring to you. Yeah, no, totally, totally. It's it's fascinating, man. It, it, it's fascinating just like coming to terms with the fact that these and like coming to it's fascinating coming to terms with the realization that there's these other intelligences that live in the animal and fungi world, right? Like mushrooms are intelligent. Uh, salvia is intelligent. Uh, ayahuasca is intelligent. Iboga is probably intelligent, even though I haven't taken it. I know peyote is intelligent. There's all these uh, hallucinogenic plants. What, one, of the, one of the arguments I always get to uh, one of the arguments I always have with some of my kind of botanist friends is they 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 talk about the evolution of uh, a lot of psychedelic plants and they always argue that one of the main theories is is that psychedelics are actually an evolutionary technique that these plants have acquired uh, to stop insects from eating them. So like the idea is that mushrooms. Uh, develop psilocybin in order to trip out the ants and insects that ate them so that they could keep surviving, <laughs> right? Because it's a really it's a really interesting theory. So, so their 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 idea is that you know basically it's just this thing that scrambles your thoughts, kind of like uh, if you take uh, I don't know if you're you ever play with music, but you know you you're playing on a little keyboard, you can add flanger or echo or whatever. Yeah. And that musical note starts to feel a little trippy. It echoes. It goes in and out of itself. And that's kind of the metaphor they use. That's their argument. So my counter argument is, what about salvia? I mean, sorry, what about ayahuasca? I mean, ayahuasca needs two different plants, two different vines yep. to be combined in order to function. So how does that argument apply? And they, they frankly don't have an answer. So I think a lot of this stuff is mysterious and really the only the only true argument you can have is is can be based on the knowledge of you taking it. So if you haven't experienced it, there's no point on having an argument about the, the intelligence, sapience, the yeah, wisdom of these substances. Right? <laughs> I've never heard that, though. Uh... They're involving like a psychedelics evolving to trip out uh, insects. <laughs> it's like jokes on you, plants. Yeah. You just evolved humans, and now they took out your ecosystem. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I think I think no evolutionary species had the nightmarish vision to uh, to to guess that humans would eventually. It come out of the 
the double helix, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, they would have stopped it as oh, quickly that, as they could. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, all right, tell me about, uh, so you said you tried all these different types. Uh, tell me about Salvia. That yeah, so, so I took Salvia in college. You know, it was like... Uh, it was it was having a big uh, big impact in like the hallucinogenic like online communities and it was this thing that was all like suddenly accessible mm -hmm. you could uh, and, and I was studying in Toronto at the time and so you could go to like these incense stores and they clearly knew it wasn't incense but they were selling it so as I was saying these incense stores had 5x 10x 15x and 20x uh, of course I chose the 20x just because. You know, that's that's how I've always been. I just like to go hard at first. So anyways, I took the... Did, did they warn you at all? They did. They did. They said it, they said it's really strong, but it only lasts for four minutes. Yeah. You oh, know, okay. so I was like, okay. Well, I mean, four minutes, how bad can it be? So I took the stuff home, and uh, I had uh, a good friend from uh, Nadine who was from Bangladesh. I had uh, another friend, Iman, who was... Uh, Iman was from Tanzania. And I had Tom was a Canadian friend. And uh, and yeah, we all like uh, stuffed like uh, a little pinch in our in, in our respective pipes and uh, and put a lighter to it and inhaled and you hold it uh, for like 30 seconds. And then as you're exhaling this first time, I remember like the last wisp of smoke leaving my mouth and this other dimension starting to take over and I had to like lay down because it was so strong and what happened was it felt like a pop-up book started opening from the ground and as the pop-up book remember those pop-up books that are like made out of paper and you're like you open yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so it was like that it was like a, it was like a psychedelic pop-up book and like it started rising from the ground and as it started opening it would swipe the whole environment and replace it with like this other dimension and when the book finished opening i was not in my room my friends weren't there and i was in a different dimension like some weird cosmic uh like uh, hallucination that mixed like anime and like fractals and it was just totally bizarre and all of a sudden this female like figure uh showed up in a cape and i was like terrified of her i remember i was so scared because i knew that this figure was divine and i thought that she could be evil or mean and she opened up her cloak and inside of her cloak was the whole cosmos and she kept wooing me to go inside of this cloak and i was just like shitting my pants man i was so fucking scared uh i, I was terrified and so it, this cloak had like this magnetic uh ability to it uh and it was like pulling me inside and i knew that i could let go and go inside of this like divine figures cosmic cloak but if i did that i would never return and my fear was that if i went into that cloak i would be mad i'd go crazy and i'd never come back and that's where the trip suddenly ended and i started coming back to reality and i looked around and my friends were as bewildered as i was and they had all had separate experiences but they had all also interacted with a female divine energy in some form wow so so we immediately you know made a pact never to smoke that shit again and uh <laughs> and and we went online and started doing research and uh a lot of people on the in the online kind of uh community had spoken about these this emerald goddess like the goddess of salvia this divine female energy that exists inside the plant that you can access uh by smoking it or in some cases by drinking uh highly concentrated versions so that to me set me off on a whole journey because how is that possible you know if this is just a hallucination uh, a hallucination is one thing 
But if you're all hallucinating the same thing collectively across space and time, across the globe, mm. where my my belief in the intelligence of other uh, beings, especially in the plant world, really started and took root. It was fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. man. No, that uh, I agree with that completely. Like, once you start uh, getting these kind of hallucinations, like, yep, on a global scale, of course, like, uh, what are we talking about now? And uh, Have you ever smoked it? Yeah, that's Have you ever smoked salt? So, uh, <laughs> all right, uh, me and my, uh, in college, four of us lived together. We're all comedians. Right. Um, it was a fun house. And, uh, yeah, we heard about salvia probably the exact same way you did, and we were interested in trying it out. So we got a bag. No idea how many X's it was. But, uh, yeah, we got it, and, like, three of us were going to do it. The other guy was at work. And uh, we got a bong, we filled it up, we were getting ready, and, like, we were going to do it one at a time. And then my friend, uh, who was at work, he comes home, and he just had the worst day ever. Like, you can just tell he's stomping around, he's, like, just so angry. And then he's like, what the hell are you guys doing? We're like, God, we're smoking <laughs> salvia. And he's like, oh, really? And he's like, we're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's legal. Like, it's nothing. And he's like, oh, it's legal. He's like, all right, let me go first. I had a heart attack. Oh, man. So, <laughs> yeah, so he hits this and takes a huge hit off of uh, the bong. I'm not sure if he took one or two, but uh, whichever one it was, he takes it and uh, we take the bong from him. And then he just starts, uh, like, smiling, and, and then he starts laughing, and he starts giggling and laughing, and all of us are looking at each other like, oh, this looks so much fun! I can't wait to get in there! And he's just, like, laughing, but then all of a sudden, he's, like, keeps laughing. Oh, God. But, like, there's no more, like, happiness behind the laughter anymore. <laughs> I've been there, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like this insanity cackle. Oh, <laughs> just like, and you're like, um, all of a sudden, you just saw the rest of the three of us. We just started looking at each other, like, "Fuck that!" Like, we're not, and like, honestly, man, he kept laughing, and then like that laugh turned into just a look of like sheer terror. Oh, God. And, like, yeah, I was just like holding the guy, like, "Buddy, I'm here for you. I'm here for you," and like. It took him three minutes to kind of come back uh, to life. And, like, he was disoriented for, like, 10, 15 minutes afterwards where he was just like, he was just like, you dudes, like, guys, get out of my fucking face. Like, let me be for a second. Yeah, yeah. So, man, I was, like, so scared. Like, I, I was just, like, all, I, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of, like, all over when he needed his space because right. I was just like, dude, you fine? You fine? Yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, after that, like, the rest of us, like, just tossed that thing out. We're like, we're not fucking trying. <laughs> Dude, I mean, poor guy. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's if you're interested in this shit, it it really blows open the head, you know. Like, mm. I don't know that it's stronger than ayahuasca, but it's definitely visually the most intense uh, hallucinogenic I've ever taken. I mean, it transports. I've heard it. I've heard it's like uh, definitely like number because there's a five there's on a scale of five for like how strong and uh, potent the psychedelic is uh, salvia is a five yeah 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 that that's it's crazy stuff crazy stuff but uh but i heard i don't know what culture uses it but i know it's supposed to be taken in liquid form that's the traditional mm -hmm. means you know and uh that's the other thing i think if you take it in liquid form it's gonna come on a lot smoother yeah and uh your, your trip it'll be a longer trip as well right and you'll get more of it that's kind of one of the reasons uh i love ayahuasca and like uh, i never tried dmt yet um but like the other thing i've heard about dmt it just like it's a 10 minute trip um you can see amazing things but like when you come back it seems like it's kind of uh, hard to take something back from it like you tried dmt right no no i haven't i uh i tried the f there's two types of frog poison you can try one is the dmt and one is cambo okay and cambo is actually just uh, uh just to purge so it's not hallucinogenic uh but it does uh it does send you on a trip of sorts called cambo cambo yeah and where did you try this uh, I tried it in in uh, in the Amazon jungle in Peru. Right. So so they take this uh, stick from the Amazon that has antiseptic properties, and they and it looks like a little piece of incense. It's kind of okay. the same size, and they light it, 
and then they burn holes into your arm, like uh, between three and five holes. Okay. Uh, and that's just to kind of expose the layer of skin under your skin. And mm. then they t- then they take this frog, the Cambo frog, and they extract this poison from it. And from that poison, they make a resin. And then they take the, uh, another, uh, the same stick, and they kind of place little pieces of that resin in those little burns that they made. All right. Yeah. And, and then basically in a matter of minutes, the poison starts working through your system. And it's so strong that your body feels like it's dying. So you, you, you like your face puffs up, you start sweating uncontrollably, and then you start purging. And, uh, and, and that's at, just puking and shitting or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Puking and shitting. Um, uh, and the shamans, you know, they, they also like sp- spray you with, uh, uh, agua de Florida and, uh, saying there's a lot of spiritual elements to it. Um, and then after, once they've seen that you've purged everything, they, they take, they rub the poison off and rub a bit of ash on your, uh, on your wounds to let them heal. And it's so intense, dude. It's like 20 minutes, but it feels again, feels like, like hours, a, a lifetime. If you're like in that kind of pain. Oh God. It's so brutal. But, uh, what it does is it resets your liver. It, it clears your system out and, and, uh, it really forces you to focus and breathe because it's like, it's it's painful and it's trying psychologically. So it, so it's another one of those uh, those things. And the shamans believe that it is intelligent in its own way. I, for me, it, it was just a poison. I yeah. don't know where to draw the line, you know? Yeah, yeah. Damn. I, I know what you're saying about, like, that psychological uh, component to it. Like, I, I've seen that with ayahuasca a couple times. Ayahuasca has pushed me to the edge where it's like, this is this sucks like this is too much and like i gotta really like mentally focused uh just keep myself uh i don't know even like if you want to say losing it or panicking or whatever whatever it is it's like i gotta like you know you get to that point where it's just psychologically you're like this sucks (laughs) but but you always end up prevailing like i don't know i've never like fell into full-on panic or full-on um insanity i don't know if that's what it is <laughs> but i i've uh, i've definitely uh got into points where you're just like this sucks and like uh you get you always end up focusing your head and getting past it and prevailing and that's one of the shittier parts of a psychedelic but it's sometimes the most important part <laughs> no totally and and you know, with ayahuasca, you kind of have a support group because you know other people are going through mm-hmm. it. You're not doing it for entertainment. You're doing it as a cosmonaut, as a you know, like a spiritual journeyman. <laughs> and yeah, and you I have know. these shamans, man, you know, and you have these the shamans, these, like magic, the shamans. Oh man. my god! Um, I'll make sure to share your Instagram because you have some amazing photos of the shamans on there that. Uh, yeah. They're, and they're very photogenic people. They all look so like mystical and uh, so and wise. <laughs> they really were, man. I, that to me was one of the most amazing things about ayahuasca. It was like, oh, this is what wizards are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like those guys were like shaman. I think is another word for wizard. Like these guys some of the ways that they were bending the laws of reality and bending the laws of physics during the ceremonies was astounding. Like I would try to open my eyes sometimes to try to see what they were doing. And I I kid you not, man, I saw teleportation. At least I think I saw teleportation. I don't know. I was fucking tripping ayahuasca. Maybe I was imagining things. But, uh, but I saw, for example, Raphael, one of the shamans who I made uh, an especially strong connection with, just that R- Raphael was capable of like singing to your ear from across the room. I don't know how that works. You know, like, I don't know how it's possible. But basically what was happening in the ayahuasca, in the, in the ceremony was that the shamans would go around in a circle choosing uh different people to sing ikaros to and to heal them but sometimes Raphael would be across the room and i could hear him in my ear 
And I knew that he was doing it on purpose, not that he wasn't giving attention to this other individual, but that he had the capacity to sing to multiple individuals at once. And that, to me, uh, was like breaking the rules of physics. Like he was able to almost teleport or send his voice across space in a way that I've never experienced before. Of course, I was tripping on ayahuasca. So you have to bear that in mind. But I saw I saw and experienced a lot of incredible things, you know, that that would certainly challenge any preconceived notions about the limitations of uh, of, of physics and the limitations of, of the world as we know it. For sure. Dude. Yeah, For sure. I agree, man. Um, like when I uh, first started doing ayahuasca and I was like uh, listening to all the songs and stuff. So um, just for the listeners, like. Uh, the shamans, they do ikaro, so these are just songs they're singing to people and to everybody in the group, and uh, these are apparently supposed to be healing us, and uh, the one thing uh, I used to think when I first started doing ayahuasca, I was just like, okay, these songs are basically just to keep us, to comfort us, right? Like, I thought that's, I thought that was the reason right. they sung to us. I'm like, they're comforting, I loved listening to the songs, they felt great, and like, uh, these guys are all, like, absolutely amazing singers like some of the best songs you've ever like yeah. heard it's just like so and they're also like on psychedelic so they're singing it like just like so beautifully but all of a sudden this time i've actually felt their music actually like affecting me inside like i could feel energy move inside me from how they're singing and uh one time uh marcella so that was the lady uh shaman um she was singing pretty much at my feet and I just felt this uh, energy move inside me and it just like brought me up and I sat like in front of her and like I felt it like move from uh, the bottom of me all the way to the top of my head and when it hit the top of my head it exploded and then all of a sudden I just started saying like I want to share I want to share and I was just like uh, I felt like it was something that was changing me to be like hey be more expressive and put yourself out there like share and uh, that's like honestly what I started to do when I came back from the ayahuasca trip. Um, and it doesn't mean like that resistance is completely gone from it. There's definitely resistance there. But like I'm just so much better at battling that resistance and getting through it. But uh, feeling her sing and move energy and like when she was done. And like that was the funny thing is like when I started going I want to share. It was like right when she was done. And she felt it. And then she like kind of did her thing. And like moved on to the next person. And I was like what? Like what is this? <laughs> I, like cause I, I want to be a guy who lives like. I, I want to be the rational guy. But like at that point you're just sitting there like what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like this person just like sung me into a different state of mind. Like unbelievable 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 i mean there's nobody who experiences shamans like that i think i think that it, it is important uh for your listeners to understand that they the plant itself works magic it really does it's like a it's it's an intelligent being but it really matters uh, how you combine uh, the experience of taking ayahuasca, one, with setting, and two, with the guides who are guiding you through it. In the end, it's it's you who who are really dealing with this journey. You know, you're your own uh, pilot. But when you have a shaman uh, helping comfort you, um, as opposed to just being this the space traveler, now you have like this wise uh all all seeing uh figure to really help uplift you and and give you all the strength you need to carry out your journey successfully so these guys are and if you read any great uh structure any great myth any great story they're like an archetype you know they're essential for any great journey uh both in terms of storytelling and real life i mean i don't think i'd like to ever go back uh to journeying uh my inner di dimensions uh through ayahuasca without the help of like a wise shaman man it's like just an incredible yeah, connection man. to have i like uh i remember i had a chemist friend who actually couldn't made his own dmt 
And uh, he was trying to, like, say, like, oh, I'm thinking of, like, trying to, like, because he was also, like, a very scientific mind, hated um, spirituality. Like, he, like, yeah, and um, he was like, oh, I'm thinking of, like, making my own ayahuasca and trying to figure it out. And I'm like, don't take that shit by yourself. Like, you you gotta, you gotta do it. Oh, no. uh, Do it with, uh, like, people who've done it before. And it's great to be with a, excuse me, it's great to be with a group of people who um are all going through yeah. the same shit that like we do support each other it's a goddamn journey yeah I mean, <laughs> god Unbelievable totally time um before we wrap this up anything uh, you wanted to hit on um no i would say yeah i would say that um it, i i guess the the mo- one of the most uh, pressing questions I have about ayahuasca is whether it's like greedy or not. Greedy. Yeah, as in like I know it's I know it's a medicine. I know it helps people, but is ayahuasca smart enough? Right. <laughs> I, I like where you're going right? with this. Keep going. <laughs> is, is ayahuasca smart enough to be creating its own cult? So it, it, I'm not saying that what it's doing it's, is bad, even if it is, right? Because I know that it's had incredibly uh, positive effects on the individuals who have taken it. But is ayahuasca creating its own religion? And is it... In a... <laughs> this is some good conspiracy yeah. right here. All right, all right. How smart, how smart is this thing? You know what I mean? Does it have a, does it have a ulterior motive? <laughs> or, or at least does it have greater ambitions for a, for a global domination? And it doesn't mean that it will rule with an iron fist. It could it could very much be a, a, a benevolent uh, dictator of sorts. But uh, well. Uh... I've heard like uh, people talk about um, how the a consciousness of a society works based on the drugs that's using. Right. Like when you have a society that's just based on alcohol and like look at what like the drugs we use as a society, like it does drive kind of a capitalistic system, right? And uh, so I think drugs based on any kind of thing, like even like look how much weed has changed uh, our culture in the last 40 50 years right right like weeds uh, changed so much of the consciousness of like people and the younger you are you can see it now like um being a lot laid back enjoying life like a lot of that has like uh and relaxing like that a lot of that has like a little bit of a connection with uh marijuana i think um Totally. So I think, yeah, I think when you've got psychedelics like uh, ayahuasca now getting so big, like, I think that kind of consciousness is going to definitely have a changing thing. Um, yeah. I hope so. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope so, too. Unless the ayahuasca is kind of a dick and is going <laughs> to really, really ruin this shit. Then you're just going to be like, hey, ayahuasca, you really... You you got us in the first half. You had us in the first half. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be the first religion. <laughs> uh, that's uh that's a cool thing. All right, man. Um, this is what the podcast name is. So uh, you gotta give it to us. Uh, you can answer any way you want. Uh, God, yay, or nay. So yeah, man. I'd say I definitely say God, yay. And it's and it's interesting because I grew up in a totally atheist household. So. Uh, my dad is uh, Indian. My mom is Italian. Uh, my grandparents on my Italian side were Catholic, and on my Indian side were Punjabi, uh, so Sikh. Um, and but my parents were always like academics, man. So like I kind of missed that growing up. You know, I didn't have a lot of religious foundation. I remember being like ten years old and asking my mom or my dad. I don't remember who it was, but I was like, "What happens when you die?" And they were like, "Well, basically." you disintegrate in the ground and the worms eat you, you know? <laughs> and it was like this brutal cold truth. And, um, and I think I've always sought out, uh, something more to explain, you know, this bizarre predicament yeah. that we're yeah, in, yeah. You know, floating, floating across space at a high speed on, on this magical rock we call the planet earth surrounded by all this life. There, there must be something. 
And uh, one of the one of the one of my favorite quotes I ever read, and actually I think I read this in a High Times magazine, was uh, was something like uh, God not knowing where to hide his biggest secrets, hid them inside the mind of man. And uh, and really, I thought that was a, a great quote, but. As I explored psychedelics, I, I think the quote was wrong. And really, God not knowing where to hide his biggest secrets hid them in the mind of plants. Mm. And uh, and I think they are a direct connection to uh, to God, to intelligence beyond our own. Um, so I would say yay. Uh, although I, I, I don't have any conclusive evidence other than my own experience. Hey, actually, I love to say, yeah, that's a good thing to end with. Like, I don't have any conclusive evidence except for my experience. I, <laughs> I was actually talking to my uh, one friend about that. Um, there has to be something. Uh, you have to give some or more credence to your own um, experience than to sometimes evidence you see even from science, like, uh, once, how, how much has science been wrong? Science is something that it's constantly changing and growing. And like, I'm saying as, right. a, as society, we should be looking at science because like, Hey, we're in a pandemic. Science is helping us out the most right now. Yeah. But, like, I'm talking 100%. about like how you live your life. Uh, you have to live it through your own experience, your own experience. Um, you have to be taken or putting on a pedestal compared to everything else. And like, uh, that's uh, why I, when I uh, take psychedelics as well, or when I meditate and reach like uh, new levels of deep meditation, like those experiences, like actually, I uh, I put above for my beliefs from those experiences than what any like well, a lot of scientists are very atheistic, right? Like so that's what I'm trying to say, right? Sure. They're not mutually exclusive. I've seen a ton of now new scientists who uh, are very spiritual and. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think we're uh, kind of coming into a new world where uh, that kind of stuff is becoming a little bit more mainstream, which is nice. Or not even mainstream, just popular. <laughs> yeah, you can only hope. Let's. I mean, it looks good. It mm-hmm. looks good, right? All right, man. Well, uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, tell people uh, where to find you and, um, yeah, tell them where they can uh, check out your show in different countries as well. Yeah, sure. So if you want to check out Unexplored and Unexplained, it's playing now in Canada, Mexico, Italy, Spain, the U.S., Australia, and the U.K. Uh, And you can see it on Science Channel, or you can go to the Science Channel website and you can stream it for free. Uh, If you want to check out some more of my work, you can go to www.emilianoexplorer.com. Or check out my uh, Instagram Thanks, under my same I'll, uh, name. I'll toss all those links in there. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on, my man. Yeah, it was yeah, an absolute great pleasure. Great to see you again, man. Hey, everybody. That was this week's episode. Thank you so much uh, for listening. I appreciate the support. The best way you can uh, support this podcast is by going on to Apple or iTunes and rating this podcast. Um, if you give it a good rating and leave a nice comment, honestly, that's the best way to do it. Uh, please check me out on Instagram or uh, YouTube under Newer Kidwai. I'm constantly going to be sharing clips of this podcast and also uh, telling you when new episodes are out and sharing a little bit of my comedy. So thank you so much uh, and uh, tune in to another episode next time on God, yay or nay.